Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. I'm excited about the message. Uh, This is our third week in Genesis 26. We took a break last week. We had Pastor Tyler Prater here for our staff training from Kansas, and he preached a message, Redeemed. Wasn't that a powerful message last Sunday, church? And I, I, I texted him yesterday, uh, all, all week, we, I kept seeing on my Instagram feed uh, from our church, uh, our church page, different clips of his message. And I texted him yesterday, I said, I'm excited to preach tomorrow, I'm tired of seeing your face on our church Instagram feed. I said it was enough that they just kept posting your preaching like it was the best preaching they ever heard, but I got really hurt when the deacons asked me to reach out and see if you'd come pastor our church, and uh, they didn't do that, but we were texting yesterday. What a powerful, if you didn't hear it last week, or if you, if you have someone you're praying for and you're not sure that they know Christ as Savior, I'd encourage you, it's on our, our podcast, on our website, where all the different places wherever our messages are archived, and I would encourage you to send that message to them. I was meeting with a young couple this week, and I encourage encourage them both to listen to that from start to finish. Just a very clear, clear gospel presentation um, if you don't know Christ. And then for those of us that do, how it should change us and the fact that we're redeemed. But I'm excited to be back in Genesis 26. Two weeks ago, when we were in Genesis 26, I preached a message that was titled, True Worship. And we looked at Isaac. Um, this, this chapter, 26, is really the only chapter devoted solely to Isaac in all of Genesis. Now we find Isaac in some other chapters before and after, but this is the only one he gets to himself. And uh, Isaac, of course, the promised son of Abraham. And, and we looked at true worship as God brought Isaac, what led to true worship, and then what did true worship lead to? And you know, after you preach, pastoring is an interesting thing. After you preach, you get interesting feedback sometimes. And uh, sometimes people are very complimentary, other times they, they let you know where, uh, where they disagreed with you or where you might have gotten something wrong, which has happened. I'm not, I, I'm not a perfect uh, scholar of the Bible. At times I, I mistake things or maybe get things wrong. And uh, you just get interesting feedback, sometimes a text message, sometimes somebody in the lobby, sometimes uh, an email. And uh, some of those, those uh, f- some of that feedback, those expressions of, of, of what they enjoyed or didn't, are more entertaining than others. And two, two weeks ago, after I left the morning service, I got this email on Sunday afternoon from our beloved sister, Diana Quackenbush. She said I could share it. Here's what it said. Pastor, I came home and listened to your message because I was with the three and four-year-olds. I don't think of music when I think of worship. My first thought was Daniel falling on his face three times a day. Then Noah building an altar to God as he got off the ark. I talked about worship in the Bible often being about our posture. She said, I tried to worship on my face, but got tackled and licked by my dogs. It took the holiness out of the mood. My dogs, then she says, my dogs bow to me and worship at me every morning. See photo below. And there's a photo of her dog I think we have. 
And then she finished by saying, I need to do this to God more often. Great message, the Merry Widow. And uh, Diana, you can send, uh, there's certain people you get emails from and like your heart drops, oh no, what did I do wrong this time? Or what are they mad about this time? Whenever Diana's uh, email pops up in my inbox, it's like, oh man, what funny thing is she going to say now that I'm going to be able to share with my wife and make us laugh. So thank you for the feedback and the entertaining feedback. We are in true worship there. I want us to read our text verse, the last verse uh, of Genesis chapter number 26. We've looked at the rest of the chapter up until now. We're going to look at Genesis 26, verse number 35. Let's read Genesis 35 aloud together. Ready? Begin. Which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Isaac and Rebekah, mom and dad. What was a grief of mind? Look at the verse above it. Verse 34, and Esau, that was one of their twin sons. They had twin boys, Jacob and Esau. The oldest was Esau. Esau was 40 years old. When he took to wife Judith, the daughter of Beri, the Hittite, and Bashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. I'm going to bring a message this morning. I've titled, When Your Children Break Your Heart. When Your Children Break Your Heart. I want to give you some thoughts. This is, I don't want it to be a depressing message. It's not meant to be a a message of condemnation if your children have broken your heart or you as a child have broken your parents' heart. I want it to be a message of encouragement. I want it to be a message for those that are our children or or we still have a a living parents to be a challenge to us to seek not to do this. And then if they have, I want to see some things from the passage here in the life of Isaac and Rebecca. How do we, uh, what, what are some of the things we can do if our children do? My father-in-law, I've often heard him say, I would rather my children grieve over my death than to grieve over my life. I'd rather my children grieve over my death than to grieve over my life. And what was he trying to say? I want to live in such a way that I don't bring great pain to my family. And I I hope that I live in such a way that when I leave, that it hurts them because they miss me, not that while I'm living, I bring great pain upon them. And may it be our desire and children and kids and teens and those of us that have parents that are alive that, that, that we would strive to make it so that our parents will never grieve over our lives. Isn't it amazing if you're a parent? Let me just see how many in this room are parents. Let me just see. Raise your hand if you're a parent, all right? A good number in this room. Isn't it amazing the power children have in our lives? Isn't it amazing the power and the depth of, of joy and despair they can bring? John said it this way in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. He said there's no greater, now he's speaking on a spiritual level here, somewhat spiritual children in the faith, but I believe this is true. If you have children, you know what I'm talking about. There is no greater joy than when our children choose to do things that we know are healthy, are positive, are good for their future, are pleasing to God. There's really no greater joy than that if you're a parent, right? And on the flip side, I would suggest there's probably no greater despair or pain or heartache than when they don't. Solomon, the son of King David, said it this way in Proverbs chapter number 10. He said, a wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness of his mother. A son that chooses to go in right paths is, is the delight. He makes a glad father. It doesn't really matter what, what else is going bad. If, if your family's going well, it doesn't really matter what else is going bad, right? 
And on the flip side, it doesn't really matter what else is going well when your family's not going so well. It's a heaviness. It's a burden. He says a foolish son is a burden, a heaviness, a weight to their parents. The first part of this message is for those of us that have living parents. If there are children in this room, teenagers, young adults, college students, young couples, singles, older adults, I'm going to give us four things from this passage that we see in the life of Esau and Jacob that brought great pain to their parents. And, and I would say they are, they are probably the four ways that children most often, we as children, or if we have children, most often break our hearts. And I want to challenge you if you have living children, or if you don't and you have God as your heavenly father, these four things to try to avoid in order to not break our parents' hearts. Number one, what do I see in the lives of Esau and Jacob? What often breaks a parent's heart? Number one, foolish choices. And I know that's very broad, a broad category, but that's what we see with Esau here. It could be wrong friends, it could be wrong choices, it could be wrong activities, it could be foolish dating, it could be sinful addictions, a lack of spiritual desire. Those things are represented in families across this room, and some of you parents know what I'm talking about, where you've watched your children make some foolish choices, get involved maybe in some sinful addictions, get involved with a wrong dating relationship, those types of things. For Esau, what do we see? His foolish choice. One was he went against God's plan. He married two women. That was not God's plan. That was a foolish choice. And then on top of that, he married two Hittite women. Who were the Hittites? The Hittites were Canaanites. Who are the Canaanites? The Canaanites were the enemies of God. We're going to see it here in just a minute. This this went against everything his mom, his dad, his grandpa Abraham would have taught him. He decided to go to the enemies of God, people that didn't share any of his values, people that didn't share any of of what he had been brought up with and the home he had been brought up with. In fact, not only did they not share his values, they shared the opposite values. All the things that his parents stood for, these ladies and their families would have stood against. And this is who he chose. And what does it say? It says, these ladies, which were a grief of mind unto Isaac and to Rebekah. Brokenhearted parents, where did we go wrong? How could we have fixed that? What could we have done differently there? It's so hard to watch your adult child making decisions that you know are unhealthy, hurtful, or sinful. And you know that you cannot force them to change their ways. Only God can do that. Often when we try to force them, what we do is we push them farther away from us. My wife and I, we began the journey of parenting adult kids about three years ago. We have a 21-year-old and now an 18, almost 19-year-old. And some of you are much further down that road than we are, and we have learned it's different than parenting younger children. There are, and my wife and I at times have had to talk and say, well, we're going to have to choose our battles there. Like, we've explained to her, we've explained to him why we feel that way and why we would prefer not, that would not be our preference. And, and, and I'm not talking about necessarily gross sin. There are some certain things in our home that if one of them were to bring them into our home or some things, we have some younger siblings, if they were to be bringing things into our home, that we would take a strong stand. But just some areas where they might choose to maybe do some things wouldn't be our first choice. 
You know, we had 18 years to train and to teach and have those conversations, and there have been some spots in that where we've just had to stop and say, if that, we can, we can come down hard right now, and they might change as long as they don't have enough money to rent their own apartment, but if the heart's not changing, nothing's changing, so we need to pray and love, and, and again, our children have been a great joy to us. I'm not talking, there, there hasn't been super, super crazy things on this level, but it's been a journey for us to learn what it is to parent adult children. It's been a journey for us. Children, I want you to understand your choices do affect your parents deeply. What often breaks a parent's heart? Foolish choices. Secondly, I see in Esau's life, forsaking scriptural truth. He chose to marry the enemies of God. The Hittites were, by the way, the Canaanites were against God. The Hittites were the worst of the Canaanites. The Hittites were the worst of the enemies of God. That's where he went and got two wives from. The worst of the enemies of God. And can I just stop and say here for those that are unmarried, after salvation, there is probably nothing as important to your life and to your ongoing relationships with your family and the direction of your life than the person you marry. There's probably no greater, more impactful decision you will make after salvation than the person that you choose to marry. And yet we make that decision so, sometimes so flippantly, so casually, so well, he's cute, he's, he's handsome, he's rich, he's this, he's successful, he makes me laugh, we both like snowboarding, and I guess we'll spend 50 years together. And I'm not saying you can't both like snowboarding. I'm saying this is a much deeper decision because it's going to impact every aspect of your life for the, at least as long as you're married, which hopefully is the rest of your life. But he forsook scriptural truth. Hold your hand here. Scoop back to two chapters, please, to Genesis 24. I want you to see what was the family, uh, what was the, the family philosophy? What was the truth that, that they had as they followed God? Genesis chapter number 24, verse number 3, when Esau's dad, when it was time for him to get married at the exact same age, at the age of 40, look at Genesis 24, verse number 3. Genesis 24, verse number 3, look what it says. He, uh, Abraham now is talking to his servant, we believe probably Eliezer, verse 3, and I will make thee swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the who church? You're going to make me promise. This, of course, was in a time when arranged marriage was more common. That's still, that's still the norm in some cultures in our society, in our, in our world today. It's not really the norm in American society. I have joked, the older my children get, the more I believe in arranged marriages. But, um, but, but that's not really our culture. But in these days, that was their culture. And, and he, he's making his servant promise. I want you to promise me right now before God, as you go find a wife for my son, you will not find one from the Canaanites among whom we dwell. We're not going to marry somebody. We're not going to bring in someone that does not have a heart for God. We're not going to marry somebody that does not want to live for God. Make, that was Esau's family. That was his dad's story. That's how Isaac got Rebekah. That's why his mom was his mom. This was what they believed. This was God's plan for their family, and he forsook that truth in his life. He chose wives who were not under the promise of Abraham, but were rather under the curse of Noah. Uh, single adults, may I just stop right here and say, if you are a believer, you should not be dating an unbeliever. Amen. Full stop. I'm not saying you can't be friends. I have heard, I know pastors who their wives started as unbelievers and, and, or, or vice versa, or they were an unbeliever and they wanted to date a pretty girl they saw, and they said, hey, would you go out with me? And she said, yeah, you can date me, come to church on Sunday morning. 
and it was that then that man got saved. I'm thinking of one right now. He got saved. He started to grow in the Lord, and now he's a pastor of a church. He got saved because he wanted to date a believer, and she said, we're not going to get serious unless we're on the same page spiritually. And I'll just say here, believers, according to Scripture, if you're a believer, you ought not be dating an unbeliever. If you're a committed, consecrated Christian, you should not be dating a casual Christian. If you say, I want my whole life to be built upon the foundation of God's Word, and that's what I want us to be, and they say they're a Christian, they kind of grew up going to church, but they really, their life doesn't show that fruit, that's not really a priority for them, may I just stop and say, you're asking for trouble. One of two things is going to happen, either you're going to fight about this stuff because you're not going to give up any space, or you're going to end up giving up some of your spiritual priorities. Now, I guess the third thing could happen, they could change their priorities, but very often, look in the Bible, it says, be careful who you marry because they'll turn your hearts away from your God. Be careful. Be careful as you date on those things. Uh, Kurt Skelly, our guest preacher at our teen camp, he told our young people this, he made the statement, don't date a project. Well, I'm going to fix it. Be careful. Dating magnifies, I'm sorry, marriage magnifies everything in dating. So if you enjoy being together and you love spending time together and that person makes you laugh and you have a good time and you connect emotionally, guess what marriage does? Marriage magnifies all of those good things. Because you get to spend way more time together. They make you laugh more. They do all those things. But you know that little thing that bugs you while you're dating? You know that little annoying quirk they have? When you're with them for like two hours at night and you get a little frustrated, but then it's like, okay, cool, I get to go back home. In marriage, that gets magnified. That little annoying quirk, men, be careful about saying amen right here, all right? Some of you are about to get in trouble. (laughs) Ladies, stop elbowing your husbands, all right? That little annoying quirk gets magnified. And again, we all have annoying quirks. That's all of us. But what am I saying? Marriage magnifies things. And sometimes we think, we, we feel uh, either we, we don't see the issues that are really there. There's a reason we say love is blind. Anybody heard that before? Why do we say love is blind? Because our, our emotions get so peaked that all of a sudden we can't see any. They are the perfect person. And, but we say marriage is a real eye-opener. Right? Love is blind. Marriage is a real eye-opener. That you realize who you married when you get married. We, th- we either don't see the issues or we foolishly think, well, I'm going to fix the issues. May I stop and say here, it's not your job. Now, I hope if you get married, you will make your, if you're a, a wife, you will make your husband better. And if you're a husband, you will make your wife better. But it's not your job to fix them. You are not called to be that person's savior. They have one savior. And it's not you and it's not me. My wife has one Savior. It's not me. It's Jesus. And if her Savior is not strong enough to fix those issues in her life, what makes me think I'm going to be strong enough to bring long-lasting solutions to that? Be careful about this. Such an important thing. But he forsook scriptural truth. He forsook the truth of their family in this area of dating. The Bible says, do not be unequally yoked uh, in, in our life. We ought not be unequally yoked in dating or in marriage. And then we move in, so he, 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 uh, he brought great pain to his parents based on some foolish choices and forsaking truth. And then we move into Genesis 27. For the sake of time, I'm not going to read all of the verses. You can go back and read this story. Some of you are familiar with this story. Do you remember the story where Isaac's about to die, he's blind, he's really old, he wants a good steak dinner? His son Esau, who was his favorite, was a really good hunter. And so he calls Esau, and he says, Esau, I need you to go out, find, go kill an animal. You know how I like it, the marinade I like, you know, put it on the pit boss, bring it to me. I want you to get that ready for me. 
And, and Esau, and, and so Isaac's waiting for him to come back, and Rebekah, Esau's favorite, I'm sorry, uh, Isaac's favorite was Esau, Rebekah's favorite was Jacob. Jacob was a little more domestic, he was around the house, he helped mom with chores, he was, uh, he was, a, he was a mama's boy a little bit, he was mom's favorite. She heard this and said, oh, dad's about to give the blessing to your brother. I want you to have the blessing. Hey, son, why don't you go out there, kill a goat, I'll cook it. I know the way dad likes it. And then bring me this skin. I'm going to go in Esau's closet. I'm going to get you some of his clothes so you're going to smell like him. And, and, and then I'm going to put the goat skin on your arm because you're kind of, looks like you, you, you know, you use laser therapy and you, you have no hair on your arms. Your brothers, think about how hairy Esau must have been if a goat's fur was what his dad thought he felt like. Like, that's pretty serious. And so this is what happens. So Jacob comes, and he brings the, the meal to his dad, and his dad says, wow, that was fast. And isn't it interesting in our deceit, sometimes we'll put spiritual clothes on our deceit. He said, well, God, God blessed me out in the field today, dad. He gave me a, a quick kill. He, he brought God into his deceit, and he comes. Jacob did kind of push back against his mom, like, I shouldn't do that. And she said, trust me, son, do it. Go trick your dad. I want you to have the blessing, not your brother Esau. He comes in, and e Esau says, man, it sounds like Jacob. Come closer. And he smells. He's like, no, that's, that's, uh, that's Esau's field cologne there. I smell that. That's his clothes. Let me, let me feel your arm. He feels a goat skin. Yep, that's Esau's arm. And he says, I give you the blessing. And we see, look at verse number 18, he came to his father, said, my father, he said, here am I, verse 27, who art, I'm sorry, chapter 27, verse 18, who art thou, my son? And Jacob said unto his father, I am Esau, thy firstborn. I have done according as thou badest me. Arise, I pray thee, sit and eat of my venison, that my, thy soul may bless me. And Isaac said unto his son, how is it that thou hast found it so quickly, my son? And he said, because the Lord thy God hath brought it to me. Then, then it, as it continues on, he says in verse 22, the voice is Jacob's, but, but it's not. And he gives, he gives the whole blessing to him. And then skip down, if you will. It, Esau comes in a little bit later, a couple hours later, comes in and, and cooks the whole meal. He's excited to give it to his dad and to get the blessing. Verse 31, skip down to verse 31, please. And he also had made savory meat and brought it unto his father and said unto his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's venison that thy soul may bless me. And Isaac, his father, said unto him, Who art thou? And he said, I am thy son, thy firstborn Esau. Look at this, verse 33. And Isaac trembled very exceedingly and said, Who? Where is he that hath taken venison and brought it me? And I have eaten of all before thou camest and have blessed him. Yea, and he shall be blessed. What broke to a, literally a physical response. He was so brokenhearted, so maybe angry, so upset, so hurt, so confused. The Bible says he literally began to tremble. Have you ever been so emotionally upset that it literally led to a physical response? Your body began to tremble, to shake uncontrollably. You couldn't, what am I going to do? How did this happen? What happened here? Who tricked me? And what broke? What broke Isaac's heart? Number three, dishonesty and deceit. There are not many things that hurt more than being lied to by someone you love. The betrayal of knowing you've been lied to and your parental love and investment has been disregarded and spit upon. It hurts deeply, doesn't it? Dishonesty was one of the things that would bring the greatest responses and disciplines from my mom when I was growing up. 
She would often say, she would, there are certain things I'll put up with, but if I find out you lied, that's, we're going to deal with that. It's always best to tell the truth the first time. She hated dishonesty. I remember having my mouth washed out with soap when she found out I lied. Anybody else ever have that? Today, that's called child abuse. When I was growing up, that was child rearing. That was just parenting. And by the way, it had some desired effect. I, I thought twice before I lied, do I want that taste in my mouth again? Do you remember as a kid... The night before a big day, like your parents had said, we're going to go do this, maybe go to a friend's house or go to a big party or maybe a, a Disneyland or something like that. The night before a big day, can you remember that feeling of, man, I can't wait? For some of you, that's like every Friday night, no, I don't have to go to work tomorrow, whatever that is. I remember there was one day I went to bed so excited. The next day, my mom was going to take me to Great America. I was probably 11, 12, 13, somewhere in that range. I was, she was going to take me to Great America with one of my best friends. And I woke up, I was ready, I was up early, I had my clothes on, ready to go. Great America, kind of Six Flags, like a Magic Mountain or a Disneyland, an amusement park. And right before we're going to leave, we're gonna, about to leave to go to Great America, she said, Ryan, go use the restroom. Moms always say that before you leave the house. Go use the restroom and wash your hands. I don't know why they have to remind you to wash your hands. We always wash our hands. Why do you have to tell us that? So I went in to use the restroom. And I was ready to go, I was excited, and I turned on the water. Now looking back, I don't know why, it would have taken the same amount of time to wash my hands, but I was trying to save time, trying to optimize. Who cares about the germs? I need to get to Great America. So I turned on the water, one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, four 1,000. Okay, she heard the water, turned it off, I came out. She said, use the restroom? Yeah, use the restroom. You wash your hands? Yeah, I wash my hands. I don't know why, she didn't believe me. I don't know if she went to parenting detective school, I'm not sure what happened. She walked into the, did you use soap? Yeah, I use soap. Of course, you don't wash your hands without soap. She walked in, and the bar of soap was completely dry. There was no water on it. She said, Your Honor, I'd like to present into evidence <laughs> Exhibit A for Ryan's lying. And I was trying to remember, I know she threatened at that point, I'm not taking you to Great America. I don't know if I ended up getting a little mercy and I got another discipline. All I know is that threat still sticks with me. I don't know if she went through with it or if she was like, I spent hundreds of dollars, I'm going to go to Great America and we'll get in trouble later. But I do know, I, I might have missed that day, I really can't remember, but what is seared in my mind is the thought that I may have missed Great America because my mom found out I was lying and his parents, children, there aren't a lot of things that hurt more than to know the one that you love is deceiving you, is going behind your back, is lying to you, is living a double life that you don't know about. And that's what happened here. Jacob, he broke his parents' heart through his deceit and his dishonesty. It's me, it's Esau, and God just blessed me. That's why you have your, your food so early. Look at the last one, verse number 34. What breaks parents' hearts? Verse 34. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. Esau said, dad, would you please, Jacob, he's a deceiver. He stole my blessing. Can you give me some blessing, please? And he said, thy brother came with subtlety and hath taken away thy blessing. And he said, is not he rightly named Jacob? That word means deceiver or supplanter. For he has supplanted me these two times. He took away my birthright, and now he's taken away my blessing. And he said, 
Have you not reserved a blessing for me, dad? And Isaac answered and said unto Esau, behold, I have made him thy Lord, and all his brethren have I given to him for servants. And with corn and wine have I sustained him, and what shall I do now? I've already made a promise. I can't go back, Esau. And Esau said unto his father, hast thou but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. You see the heartbreak in Esau's life. And Isaac, his father, answered and said unto him, Behold, thy dwelling shall be the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven uh, from above, and by thy sword shalt thou live, and thou shalt serve thy brother, and it shall come to pass when thou shalt have dominion that thou shalt break the yoke from off thy neck. Would you read verse 41 aloud? Ready? Begin. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of my mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. He hated his brother. He said, my dad's about to die. He's going to be gone. I'm going to give, I'm going to give him the respect. I'm not going to kill him yet. That way he doesn't have to know about it. But once he's done, as soon as he's dead, I'm killing my brother. And what breaks parents' hearts, I would suggest to you, number four, family conflict. Family conflict is heartbreaking. Some of the deepest hatred can be among family members. May I stop and say this, believers, that's not how a family's supposed to work. They're supposed to be our closest human relationships, and I understand that there are times where that is somewhat out of your control. For Jacob, I'm sorry, for Isaac and Rebecca, Esau's hatred toward Jacob was out of their control, but it broke their hearts. And if you're younger, don't buy into the, or if you're older, don't buy into the lie that you're supposed to hate your siblings or your parents or your extended family. Be the bigger person. Show the love of Christ. Be careful about burning bridges. Learn to forgive in your heart, whatever. That might be a parent toward a child. That might be a child toward a parent. And, and you may have to, there are, there are different situations. I've counseled some in this room. You may have to put some boundaries up for health in your ex immediate or extended family. There may have to be some boundaries that are put up because of the dysfunction of the family that you're a part of. I understand that, but be careful about allowing bitterness and hatred, no matter what the case is, about allowing that to boil over and fester in your heart. That will always hurt you, and don't allow that in your life. And by the way, look at the consequences of our actions in our family are often farther reaching than we expect. They often, the hurt that comes, whether it's from a parent to a child or a child to a parent, often cuts deeper than we imagined when it happened. Look at verse 42. So he's says, after my dad dies, I'm going to kill my brother, verse 42. And these words of Esau were told to Rebekah. Somebody in the house heard it, went and told Rebekah, you better watch out, Esau's about to kill Jacob. And she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, behold, thy brother Esau is touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. Now therefore, my son, obey my voice and arise to my brother. Go to Uncle Laban's house, verse 44, and tarry with him, how long, church, in verse 44, tarry with him what? How long? A few days, look what it says, tarry with him a few days until thy brother's fury turn away. Let it die down for a few days and then come back. Do you know what that few days turned into? You find out three, four, five chapters later, it was more than two decades before Jacob and Esau could talk to each other again. Two decades. Be careful. Be careful about that word you say, that text you shoot off. That email you send in the heat of the moment, in, in, in a moment of anger toward a loved one. Be careful. Be careful. 
They don't see each other again until chapter 33, more than 20 years later. Look at verse 46. And look what Rebecca says. So she sends off Jacob to, her, to his uncle. In verse 46, can you see it? Just feel it in this passage. And Rebecca said to Isaac, I am weary of my life. Isaac, I don't know how to do this anymore. I'm tired of living. This is too hard. I'm weary of my life. Look what she says, because of the daughters of Heth. That's the great grandson of Noah. That's where you get the Hittites. Here's what she says. If Jacob take a wife of the daughters of Heth, such as these which are of the daughters of the land, what good shall my life do me? Here's what she's saying. I've already lost Esau. Now it feels like I'm gonna lose Jacob too. It was hard enough to lose Esau. By the way, I get it that some of Esau's sinful, I'm sorry, some of Rebecca's sinful, selfish decisions brought some of this conflict upon her own family. And parents, it might be good for you to stop and take inventory and say, in what ways have I contributed to this heartache in our family? Because Rebecca had a big piece, and I would say Isaac in his favoritism with Esau, they both had a big piece to play in this family conflict, in their own broken heart. But here's what she says, I'm weary of my life. Esau's already broken our hearts. He's living a life that's not the way we trained him, not what we would have prayed for. It's not what we hoped when he was that little, beautiful little baby boy with hair all over. That's not what we were looking for. And if, the, if Jacob goes the same route, what was, why did I even live? What, what was the point of even living? Do you see the utter despair? Children, it's the first half of my message, and I've got to wrap up the next in about 10 minutes. Children, Determined to do all that you can to honor your father and your mother. I believe obedience has an expiration date. The command for children to obey, I believe, has an age-sensitive expiration date. As you leave your family and get married and start your own family, if my mom today were to call me and tell me, I demand you come back home and live with me, I don't believe I'm under a biblical responsibility to obey my mom in that command. I believe that obedience... Uh, has, has, I don't believe honor has any expiration date. If our parents are living, we ought to seek to live lives that bring honor to them, even if they don't live lives the way they should be toward us. We ought to seek to bring honor to them in our lives. The command to honor our parents has no expiration date. That idea is that we should live in such a way that we bring honor and joy and have a healthy, respectful relationship with them. We should strive for that for a lifetime. And I get it that sometimes there are dynamics and sins and different things that make that really hard. You can't control what they have done. You can't control how they respond to you, but you can control what you do and how you respond to them and ask yourself, am I living in ways that are pleasing to God? And as much as I can bring bringing honor to those parents, and parents the same for our children, understanding children. If your parents are living, be careful in your life about those four things, foolish choices, forsaking scriptural truth, dishonesty, and deceit, and then hatred within a family, family conflict. Be careful about those things. And now the portion of the message for the parents. Your, your children have broken your heart. Now what? Isaac and Rebecca's kids are adults. Both of them are going to go on to make some foolish decisions. They both already have, actually. They have an empty nest as both children have moved away from them. They're left with each other, worried about the choices their sons will make and wondering what they could have done differently. Does that hit home for anybody? Sure it does. 
I want to give you two thoughts, two statements for when your children break your heart with a few challenges to close the message. Number one, I want to tell you this, you are not alone in having your heart broken by your children. You are not alone in having your heart broken by your children. In seasons of despair, one of Satan's greatest weapons is to convince us that we're the only ones that are facing this or that have ever faced this. No one knows what we're going through. No one cares. And I'm just here to tell you that's just not true. As our children have grown, my wife and I have often reached out for counsel from families that we admire and respect in parenting. Even when they were little, we would do this. And now that they're older, people that are a little farther down the journey. And you know what I've found as I've asked for wisdom and counsel and how to parent teenagers and how to parent young adults? You know what I have found is just about every family that we highly respect their parenting and their children's heart for God and those things— Just about every one of us told us, oh, well, we had this one season with this one child. Well, we had this issue with this daughter. We had this, we went through this for three or four or five years, or, you know, we're still praying for this one son that's done this. You know what I found is just about every good family I know has either had seasons or is still in a season where a child has broken their heart. You're not alone. And I don't mean that, I don't say that like I'm happy. I say that to remind us that it's just not true that you're the only one walking through this. I want you to think about the heroes of the Bible, some of the most greatly used men in Scripture. Adam, did he have a son that broke his heart? You ever hear of Cain? Murdered Abel? Lot, his daughters got him drunk and impregnated themselves with him. Abraham's son, the the father of Israel. Father Abraham, his son Ishmael, rejected God and fought against his brother, and their descendants are still fighting to this day. Isaac's son Esau married wicked women and hated his brother. Jacob's sons sold their brother Joseph into slavery and lied to him that he was murdered or he was killed by an animal. King David, a man after God's own heart, his son Amnon raped his half-sister David's daughter Tamar. Absalom, King, King David's son, then murdered, had, had him murdered, uh, his, his, his brother uh, Amnon, David's other son. Eli, the priest, gave his life to preaching the Word of God, had sons Hophni and Phinehas that participated in unthinkable debauchery at the house of the Lord. Samuel, the great prophet that confronted David, the one that God used, his sons took bribes and were corrupt spiritual leaders. Why did Jesus tell the prodigal of the parable, uh, I'm sorry, the parable of the prodigal sons? Why did he use that as a, a story to teach a lesson? Because the idea of a child breaking a parent's heart would have been understood by many. It's a very common thing. I'm not excited about it, but it's a common thing in the human experience. I could keep going with people in the Bible. And again, I don't say these things with glee, but rather as a reminder that the fact that you have a child or more that has broken your heart, or maybe is still breaking your heart, that you are, and that because of that, that you are somehow less than or cannot be used of God is just not true. You're not alone in having your heart broken in this way. You are not alone in having your heart broken. Isn't it true that trials are often more bearable when we know that others have faced the same thing that we have? Isn't it comforting when you're walking through something and someone else that's come through the other side of it comes alongside of you and says, I've been where you're at, here's what God taught me, and here's how. Isn't it helpful to have somebody walk alongside of you in a trial? It helps, right, to know that somebody else has been there. And that point right there is to remind us, I was, I was reminded of this about, I guess, 10, 15 years ago. 
I went skydiving, it was 2006, so whatever that would be, 17 years ago now. I went skydiving for the first and to this point only time in my life. I think we have a photo of it. I was really scared to jump out of a perfectly working plane. I'm an analytical mind, so the night before I was reading articles and statistics on skydiving accidents. I'm here to tell you that tandem skydiving is a really relatively very safe thing to do. So parents, let your kids do it. My daughter did it for her 18th birthday. Her and Ashley Mayfield went out skydiving. And I couldn't really say no because I had done it. So be careful, parents, what you do. Your, your kids will follow in your footsteps. I was reading statistics. I was like, I was seeing some that I didn't like, some articles I read specifically about the place we were going skydiving, like has this one ever had an accident? I'm, I'm reading into all this. The next morning there was a group of us, we were filming and, and, uh, for, a, for a teen event at our church and we were riding ATVs and we were filming. And then we went and we, were, we had about a two hour drive from the place we were riding ATVs to the skydiving place. The day had been a blast. It was fun. We were laughing. We were having a good time riding the dunes in Pismo Beach, having a blast. And then then the road started to the skydiving place. And I'm driving, and everybody's still having a good time, and they're listening to music and singing and laughing, and, and as we're getting closer, I'm, I'm getting more and more scared. And like I called my wife, hey babe, how you doing? I just want you to know I love you. And, and, uh, and I'm driving, and I'm getting there, and the pit in my stomach is getting bigger and bigger. Josh, were you there with us on that? No. A uh, pit in my stomach was getting bigger and bigger. DJ was there uh, on that day. And, and we got to the place, and all the, it was like 10 or 12 of us, friends of mine, and we were all there, and they're all still laughing. You know how guys can be like safety schmafety, like, what? we don't need the training video, right? Hey, you guys need to sit here and listen to this training video. Like, yeah, whatever. I was watching the training video. <laughs> I was watching it all. And, and I was, I literally, this is not an exaggeration, I walked by and saw the guy packing the parachutes, and I stopped and watched him. I don't, I wouldn't have known if he was doing it wrong, but I just wanted to see what he was doing. And I watched, is he getting my thing in there? Okay, that looks pretty good, all right. And, and we're watching it all, and we get on the plane, and I'm checking all the, the, the clasps, and I'm checking the buckles, and I'm checking all these things, and I'm tying on that, and I'm, I'm there, and I'm kind of breathing heavy, and I'm getting scared, and we're going up. And you know what happened? All of a sudden, at one point, my, my tandem guide here was sitting behind me, and I turned around. He's sitting right there, and we're all latched up, and we're sitting there, and everybody's still smiling, taking pictures. And I asked him, I said, how many times have you done this? And you know what he said? He said, I'm almost at my 8,000th jump. And when he said 8,000, my brain was like, I was like calculating. That's more times than I've washed my hands with soap. All right, how many times is that? <laughs> And you know what happened when I heard that? All the fear didn't go away, but the pit in my stomach got a little smaller. My heart, well, my voice cracked. My heart rate slowed down a little bit. I'm getting scared just thinking about it. My heart rate slowed down a little bit. All of a sudden, there was a little comfort. Why? Because the one who my life depended on had come safely through this self-imposed trial many times. I had a little more peace because I realized I wasn't the first one to be stupid enough to jump out of a plane. And you know, it's true when you stop and realize, oh, that person went through that and 
that person and God used them and God blessed them and God gave them peace and God gave them comfort. And in our lives, when we realize the one that our life depends on has successfully navigated this trial for many others, it can bring us some peace. I want to remind us as parents, our children, they have a sin nature and they have a free will. And that toxic combination will often lead to heartache. Remind yourself you are not alone in facing these types of heartaches. They have been common and many throughout history. My second statement, not only are you not alone in having your heart broken by your children, number two, you are not alone when your heart is broken by your children. What do I mean by that? You don't have to walk this road alone. God is there to hear your cries. A church family will walk with you. That's why we need one another. Because family hurt can bring some of the most isolating, heartbreaking, despair-inducing feelings of hopelessness in our lives. And the natural tendency by some in those moments is to walk away from God, to walk away from church, to walk away from our faith, from loved ones, to grow bitter and cynical. But who has had more children break his heart than any father ever? Our Heavenly Father. And yet he still loves and he still guides and he knows what you're going through. Every one of us has trespassed against his commands and his desires yet he still shows grace and mercy with an unending, unmistakable, inexhaustible love. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. I want you to remind yourself of those true truths, and then I want us to look at the five more verses, and we'll be done in closing. Would you look at verse number 28? Go all the way to, I'm sorry, chapter number 28. Go to chapter 28. Look at five more verses with me, and I'll wrap it up. So Jacob's about to move. He's about to go to uncle's house. He's about to be gone. It's going to be an empty nest. They don't know what decisions Jacob's going to make. They know Esau's already going down a bad path. Their hearts are broken. They're weary of their lives. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padanaram, to the house of Bethuel, my, thy mother's father. Go to my father-in-law's house and take thee a wife from thence of the daughters of Laban, thy mother's brother. Find one that shares the same values, that is brought up the same way, that has the same God. And God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee, that thou mayest be a multitude of people. Do you see this? This is not my point here necessarily. He had not yet, he had not lost hope in life. Do you see that? God still has a plan for you. My heart is broken, Jacob, that you would deceive me. My heart is broken that I have broken my son Esau's heart. My, heart. my marriage obviously has some problems because Rebecca betrayed me. My heart is broken, but I have not lost hope. Can I just stop and say, believers, do not lose hope no matter what you're facing. God, I'm praying that God will use you and bless you and multiply you and give thee the blessing, verse 4, of Abraham to thee and to thy seed with thee, that thou mayest inherit the land wherein thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. And Isaac sent away Jacob, and he went to Bananaram unto Laban, son of Bethuel the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob, and Esau's mother. I'm going to give you three thoughts, and I am done. I have only one page of notes out of nine left. Three thoughts here, three challenges when your heart is broken. I gave you two principles. Remember, you're not alone in having your heart broken, and you're not alone when your heart is broken. But number one, three things I see in this passage. Number one, don't take it out on your spouse. When your children break your heart, don't take it out on your spouse. They're heartbroken too. They're struggling with feelings of guilt too. They're wondering how they could have done something differently too. Don't let one broken family relationship lead to another broken family relationship. You know what we don't see anywhere in this story? 
Isaac, blaming it on Rebekah. She says to Isaac, I'm weary of my life, the daughters of Heth. He could have easily said, it's your fault. Why didn't you support my authority? Why did you betray me? Why did you lie? Look what you've done to Esau. Now look what you've done to Jacob. Now they're both gone. We don't see that anywhere. By the way, that would have been very natural to feel, right? But it's nowhere in the story. Be careful. There's no such thing as a perfect marriage, and there are no such thing as perfect parents. When your children break your heart, don't take it out on your spouse. By the way, they both played favorites and messed up at times as parents, but they stayed together. Family trials can often cause splits and bitterness in the marriage. Guard against that. Number two, keep investing in others. Do you see it in verse one? Esau has broken Isaac's heart. And by the way, Jacob has broken Isaac's heart. And Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said unto him, go get the right kind of wife. Basically, I think Isaac's thinking Esau didn't listen to me, but, and Jacob's lied to me. But he hasn't yet made that mistake of marrying the wrong lady. I can keep investing. I'm going to keep loving. Even in the midst of their mistakes, even in the midst of the way he's broken my heart, I'm going to keep trying to give him the right guidance, the right advice. I'm going to keep investing in those that I can. And no matter who has broken your heart or where that relationship is broken, may I say there are still people you can love and invest in. Maybe you're in a spot where one of your children won't speak to you or your parents won't speak to you. And I'm not happy about that. But there are people in your life you can love. There are people in your life you can help. There are people in your life you can invest in. Keep investing in others. And then lastly, don't lose faith in God and his promises. Do you see it in verse three? And God almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee. Verse four, he says, give thee the blessing of Abraham. What was that? That's the word of God. That's the promises of God that came to his dad. In the midst of his heartache, he didn't doubt the power of God, almighty God. He didn't doubt the promises of God. I'm praying you'll have the blessing that Grandpa Abraham had. That's what I'm praying. I have not, in the midst of my heartache, I have not lost my faith in God and in his promises. I think maybe somebody in this room or watching online needs to be reminded, God hasn't lost his power just because my son or daughter rejected him. Don't walk away from God. Don't stop living for God. Don't walk away or fall away from his church. Stay where you're supposed to be even when your children stray from where they should be. Keep being who you should be even if your children have chosen to be something that you're not real excited about. You may have failed as a parent in some way, and by the way, all of us have. If you're a parent, you have failed in some way. Your children may have failed in some way, but Jesus never fails. Don't grow bitter and critical and cynical and angry. Well, the church, it's the church's fault. It's the Christian school's fault. It's that youth pastor's fault. It's my husband's fault. It's my wife's fault. No, you know whose fault it is. It's sin nature, free will, it's sin. We've made bad decisions. There's no such thing as a perfect family. If we do have some part to play in it, let's be honest and take inventory and, and apologize for that and keep moving forward. But don't lose your faith in God and in his promises and in his word. Keep praying, parent. 
Keep loving. Keep serving, grandparent. Keep giving. God may just restore and use your life and testimony to impact your loved ones or others who watch your faithfulness in the midst of heartache. I don't have the time to tell the story, but you can go home and read it. You know the song, Amazing Grace, the most well-known hymn in American history? You know what that was? John Newton was a man that broke his parents' heart and lived a wicked, vile life for decades. And, and his, his mom, if I remember correctly, didn't even get to know and hear the song that he wrote. But decades later, he would talk about because of the prayers and the love and the faithfulness of my mom, I came back to God and wrote that song that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. The story isn't written yet, parents. Keep loving. Keep praying. Keep giving. Keep serving. And let your kids and others Watch your faithfulness in the midst of heartache. So review. Children, ask God this morning to help you not to break your parents' heart. Foolish choices, forsaking scripture, dishonesty and deceit. Family conflict. And then parents, if they do, remind yourself of those two things and take those three challenges. You're not alone in having your heart broken. You're not alone when your heart is broken. Don't take it out on your spouse. Keep investing in others. And don't lose faith in God and in his promises. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This is what we call in our service an invitation. We invite people to reflect on what you've heard and then to respond to what you've heard. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But maybe in your heart, you would answer this question. Do you have a child or a grandchild that you're burdened for? Do you have a relationship with a mom or a dad or an in-laws that it's a hurtful one? Do you struggle with guilt or with vengeance or with bitterness like Esau did with his vengeance for some of the things that they've done to you? Or maybe you struggle with guilt for some of the things that you did as a parent. Maybe you struggle with bitterness for some things that your parents did to you. In a moment, I'm going to invite you You can come forward and talk to God about those things. And maybe some grandparents want to come forward and pray for some children and grandchildren. Maybe some kids want to come forward, teenagers, young adults want to come forward and ask God to help them never to break their parents' hearts. Maybe some moms and dads, if they have children in here, want to pray together here at the altar or there at your seat. But let's ask God to help us to live lives that are honoring, not heartbreaking. And then when our hearts are broken, or when we've done something to break somebody else's heart, Let's ask God to help us to respond in the correct way, remembering we're not alone, and we don't have to walk through this alone, and not to allow one broken family relationship to break another, and to keep investing, to keep trusting, to keep believing God's promises are true, even when man fails us. Jesus never will. Lord, I pray you'd take these thoughts and you'd encourage your people And you'd help us to maybe, some of us need to reach out with a word of apology to someone. Maybe we need to up our prayer game, if we will, for our loved ones. Maybe we need to show that unconditional forgiveness to those that have hurt us or to those that we've hurt. We need to humble ourselves. I don't know, but I pray that some of us would take some steps to healthier relationships and walking through these things in a healthier way because of what we've seen in the life of Isaac and Rebecca. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.